Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 21st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that never cracks sealed product. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some... I had some lag there. I'm sorry. Hey, guys. Glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, why don't you break down uh, our various segments for the folks today? We've got our big four this week, James. First, we're going to talk about our top movers. We're going to walk you through what went up and what went down, like elevators and escalators. We're going to be on to our picks of our week after that. Then we're going to talk about some tournament results. And finally, we're going to wrap up with some of the things coming out with Eldritch Moon. James, what's the start of our big mover list this week? Well, kicking things off this week, we have Promise of Brunoi, the uh, Saviors of Kamigawa White Enchantment that uh, creates uh, white uh, or colorless spirit tokens, I believe. It's colorless, right? Uh, yes, they are 1-1 one, one colorless. They don't even fly. There we go. So that's card moved from $2 to 550 for a, a gain of about 175%. Um, the only action I've seen on this card lately is a, it's a two of in modern Mardu Aristocrats decks that have been putting up uh, occasional results online, and it's at uh, fairly low supply on TCG Player right now, which leads me to believe um, that there was a targeted buyout, perhaps, by people that have been playing the deck locally. Plus, it's a Saviors of Kamigawa rare, one of the notable low points in terms of Magic's distribution and purchasing. Uh, Saviors is not an easy set to find under the best of circumstances. And uh, thank you for educating me on how to say that word, because I do believe I've been saying it wrong for 10 years or so. How do I say that again? <laughs> uh, I think it's Bunrai. Bunrai? All right. That's, that sounds much better than Bunrai. So, but, but, I'm, but I'm sure my Japanese friends will tell us that we're both wrong. Oh, I'm okay with that. Uh, so moving on, what's our next pick? Next up was Nimbus Maze out of Future Sight, which has bumped from $750 up to a cool $20, gaining 166%. Uh, it hasn't put up results that we've seen yet, but as a land that produces colorless and white and blue, it is a land that is going to slip right into uh, Eldrazi decks. People are probably buying this in anticipation uh, ahead of finding it actually in uh, winning decks. This is part of the future site land cycle. We might see all of these again eventually, but really notably, if you have this in play alongside one hallowed fountain, it's better than a hallowed fountain because now you get your colorless mana for any Eldrazi shenanigans you want to do. Yeah, I mean, the tricky part is that it's uh, it, you can't really play it alongside Atacar Waste, which was the, the kind of the forerunning um, option for receiving blue, white, and, and colorless. Um, since it doesn't produce blue or white um, if you don't have a plains or an island out. Um, so I'm, I'm not really uh, certain where the, the movement on this is coming from other than low supply and somebody making a, a, a speculative guess. Um, I'm certainly happy to see the move, and I'm ready to get out on the 20 or so copies I've had sitting around for a while. Um, you know, I 
going to be looking up who's looking for these on Puka Trade shortly so I can out these cards immediately. Always good to uh, ride this bike. What's next? So uh, next is a, a big reserve list card, Moat from Legends. Um, started the weekend in around $350, and somebody decided to scoop a bunch up and try to uh, dictate the, the fresh price in the market, the, the lowest price uh, going for about seven or $800 uh, now for a massive gain of over $400 and about 130%. Um, you know, as I said, it's reserve list. It's a singleton and miracle sideboards, but it's also just a, a major collect kind of tier two collector um, pursuit card. And it's not power nine, but it's part of the kind of famous subset of second tier cards from that era. Um, you know, the first few years of magic that, uh, you know, anybody who invested in these, um, you know, five, 10 years ago is going to be pretty happy with the results that these big, uh, bad cards from the old days have been putting up lately. We're going to talk about another one of those in a few minutes, but yeah, moat is one of those cards that just, it just shuts down entire strategy. If you've played against ensnaring bridge in lantern control, you know, that there's conditions you can meet Well, moat has no conditions. You just can't period. Yeah, I mean, it's never had a, a judge reprint or anything because it was on the reserve list. Um, yeah, there's no foils available of the card. Uh, there's only six copies currently available on TCG Player. The lowest near mint from Channel Fireball is at 660, so uh, I guess they're not feeling too confident about the 800-plus uh, price point, and who knows how many they're actually sitting on. Um, but uh, And I have a feeling it will settle somewhere in and around 700 when the dust clears. Um, resulting in pretty big gains for anybody who's been holding for a while. I would imagine that this would be an opportunity for Channel Fireball and anybody else who's been uh, bought, who has bought Legacy in the last few years to make up some of that money because this is exactly what they want to have happened eventually. That something goes up and now they can sell to other people who want to speculate because they would rather have the cash than the cards. It's fairly common when dealing with these kind of old school, low volume cards is that you're, you're going to see slow, steady gains, you know, 5%, 10% a year over a long period of time with occasional massive inflection points in the graph where, you know, all of a sudden um, dual lands pop up from $100 to two or $300. In the case of the blue duels a while back, we're seeing big movement on some of these um, specialty lands from the old days. And, uh, you know, it's, it's proving uh, to have been a smart move for the people that focused on those cards. Yeah. Uh, I had picked up Gaia's Cradles when they were uh, still in the $60 range a few years back and they had one in almost every EDH deck and then they bounced real high and it was just congratulations to me. So this is just like you said, what's next? Uh, nothing on the reserve list is safe from this particular effect either. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I made a list of all the remaining reserveless cards that haven't been bought out a few months ago, um, targeted a, a low volume of a few of them myself, and I'm just watching them fall like dominoes as the months roll by. That's very, uh, that's what I'm looking for here, that's very uh, evil genius of you, that as the dominoes fall into place on your plan, sir. Well, I mean, I, I would argue I'm, I'm probably a pretty minor player in this sphere. The people that are clearing some of these cards out are bringing major resources to bear. I mean, some of the recent buyouts on old school cards have been, you know, minimum five to $10,000 in investment. Some of them have been as high as $50,000 um, to really, like, empty the marketplace of the cards. So, I mean, people are taking big risks. Um, and you got to understand that if, if somebody's willing to take on that, that amount of risk, they are probably going to get some kind of return if their logic is sound. 
um, and they're going to need to, to to be encouraged to keep doing it. If, if you want to vote or imp- have an impact as a regular player on, on how these things play out, it's pretty simple. Don't buy these cards after they spike. Um, if you, you can only really vote effectively with your wallet in a, in a free market. So uh, if you buy cards that have gone up, um, you know, you're contributing to the, the, the price spikes. If you leave them alone and give them some time to cool off, then you're, you're, trying to, you're helping them settle at a more natural price. I would hope that everybody listening uh, already knows, don't buy things the minute they're spiking. Don't do that. Don't play into it. Don't be part of the hype. Like you just said, be patient. One of the cards... Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that often the case is we, we tell ourselves we quote-unquote need a card for oh. a deck we want to play. Reality is we've already got 20 decks sitting on the shelf behind us. Um, or you know, even if you're a new player, you probably have two or three. Maybe you're a standard modern player. You were hoping to play lands in, in Legacy or something. You don't need to play lands, and you don't need to play Legacy. Those are choices you make. So, and and when you you pursue a spiked card, um, you know you're you're playing right into the trap these guys are trying to set. Don't do that. Don't play into the trap. Please, please, ladies and gentlemen, don't do that. So next on our list was uh, Flicker Wisp out of Eventide. Started out uh, the foil version. Excuse me. Was nine dollars uh, last week. It's up to fifteen. It's gained six dollars, about uh, two thirds of its value, and it's a four of in both the legacy and modern version of Death and Taxes. It's one of the most fun things to flicker in with uh, Ether Vial, because at instant speed, not only are you adding a three-one flyer to the board, you're also saving something from renewal, uh, resetting some triggers. Your uh, they're not playing Mangara of Karandor anymore, but that was a really fun interaction. You exile their permanent, and with a trigger on the stack, save Mangara. So there's all kinds of fun things, and the foil has finally spiked up, and it might not be done. Interestingly, this was reprinted in Modern Masters in 2013, but the foils on that have dried up as well. I'm seeing a price range from 9 to about $12 for just 10 copies or so, and then they jumped to $20 on TCG, so... Uh, it looks like uh, somebody decided to clean out the inventory. We'll see where this settles. My guess is is somewhere around the eight to ten dollar range is appropriate. What was after that? Uh, our next card is uh, foil versions of Toxic Deluge from Eternal Masters, a card that is paying off much quicker, um, at least on the foils, than many of us anticipated. Um, foil Deluge has gone from fifty dollars at the start of the week to closing in on a hundred for about an 80% gain in the low 90s. Um, there's only eight available on TCG between $88 and $100 or so. Um, we've seen it spike as high as 150 already, so the market is still trying to find the balance point on these, but the reality is that for some of these in-demand foils in EMA that have never been printed in foil before, um, there really isn't that much inventory. I think we're already at peak supply in terms of you know available copies in the marketplace. Um, I heard tell from uh, the big Origins uh, convention in Ohio last week um, that many of the dealers were short on stock of EMA staples. Um, were very few were selling packs in any kind of quantity, and there was almost there was essentially no Eternal Masters events that ran at that entire conference, um, which speaks volumes about the the dearth of inventory that's available in the market right now, and the likelihood that keeping that stuff sealed is going to pay off. Um, popping it may also work out if you got lucky with some solid, you know, common, uncommon, rare foils that are included 
in these ones that are spiking, um, you know, holding on to those and waiting to see how they settle in three to six months is probably going to be a pretty smart place to be. And that's exactly the point I was going to make. I actually opened a foil toxic deluge in my one Eternal Masters draft. I threw it into a deck and I was just thinking, sweet, it's another cheap sweeper. And then it spiked up and I'm thinking, hmm, 150, you say? Well, what's it going to be in six months? And it's already cooled down to 100, but with such a low supply and what appears to be a lack of more of it coming, uh, I don't think Wizards is going to release a new wave of Eternal Masters product on the verge of Eldritch Moon about to land. So it seems, I hope, that uh, we're going to settle in with the prices and just watch them start to gain on Eternal Masters, especially... Like you said, the stuff that hasn't been in foil before. I mean, the funny thing is Toxic Deluge is mostly a sideboard card, usually only a one or a two of when, even when it is played. It's only played really in Legacy. Um, Legacy is not really getting much tournament support these days um, by comparison to, say, five years ago. Um, and But uh, all of that being the case, we're still seeing these prices move. I, I think a lot of the purchasing of these foils is being done speculatively. I think that there is definitely some natural demand, but I think the speculation action on these cards has outpaced it. And the question will be, how long are the speculators willing to hold to try to set up a, a higher plateau for the prices? Um, the more patient they are, the more successful they're likely to be. Um, so we'll see how patient the money is that's been that's been driven into this the, the, the key cards from this set. Speaking of uh, foils and speculation, what's next? Uh, we've got Belby's Portal, uh, a foil from Nemesis that allows you to... It's a five casting cost artifact that allows you to pay three, I believe, and tap it to put a, a creature of a specific type into play um, from your hand. Um, just an, uh, a casual EDH commander cube style card that had relatively low demand, uh, low supply in foil and moved from 13 to just over 20 for about a 55% gain. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a card that's still settling. I don't think there's any massive demand uh, for the card driving this movement. It's really just a case of one of these old-school foils drying up, and uh, I, I managed to pull one out of the uh, Super Collection uh, leftovers uh, the other day, so that was a, a nice high point of the afternoon. And, uh, you know, I think it, at $20 plus, if you've got a couple of these lying around and you don't need them for EDH decks or anything, feel free to out them on Puka Trade or something and move into some other spec. Uh, it's worth noting that it was two weeks ago, I think, three, something like that, that Cryptic Gateway uh, underwent a very similar uh, up and down cycle where you could tap two creatures and put a third one into play that shares a type. And so I think this that you're right, that this is more of a... Uh, somebody said, well, if that's good and spiking, well, how about this one in the future? And this this seems like more speculation, because it's not, it's not new, it's Nemesis. It's, I think, 13 years old at this point. So uh, this is somebody who says, I there's not many on the market, I can pick them up and hopefully dictate a new price. Exactly. So what, what was our... Uh our other big ticket item that saw a move this week. One of the most annoying cards on the face of this earth, the Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale. The land in Legends on the reserve list started out at 1100 finishing at around 1450 right now. It's a one-of in the lands deck in Legacy. It's putting up results, but as a singleton in the sideboard, this is again reflecting a super low supply. 
this is one of the cards that people love to play in EDH and Cube. They're, the supply on this, I think, is even lower than some of the others because of the casual demand. If you've never played against this card, it is miserable. Um, it is Kataki Wars Wage only for all of your creatures, which would be the way to deal with someone who wants to do these things, only it's free. They just sit there and they can devote all their resources to uh, protecting themselves while you have to spend your resources paying for your creatures. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's only a single English copy available uh, in near mint form on TCG right now, and it's been listed at 2000 <laughs> That's optimistic, uh, but if somebody will take it. There's two lightly played copies at 1500 um, So th this one is still settling out. Uh, there's a few, there's a whole bunch of Italian uh, copies on, on eBay if you're desperate to get one for, for your lands deck and that you're planning on, um, you know, I don't know why you're making that decision right the second, but, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe consider an Italian copy, um, since they typically, uh, have a long history of going for less and being an easier entry point. And the, uh, the printing looks better. Uh, everything's just more vivid in color as well. The Italian legends, uh, generally, I always found they looked better. Yeah, my, my only other further comment on this is it, it, it actually underscores one of my biggest disappointments on Puka Trade in the last year, where somebody sent me one of these and it was basically a photocopy. Um, oh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that uh, that was a little black spot on my Puka Trade record um, and makes me all the more disappointed that that transaction wasn't real. Oh, <laughs> photocopy. Well, that's that's it for oh, the big well. movers. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's awful, man. Did they... They came through. They made every Puka Trade made everything yeah, right. Yeah, Puka Trade. Yeah, Puka Trade made everything right, and they I've always they've always had my back um, uh, in those kind of situations, and which are few and far between. I've only been sent two fakes total um, on Puka Trade out of hundreds and hundreds of cards. Knockwood. I have not had that experience yet. Uh, all right, so let's talk about our uh, picks of the week. Um, I'll, I'll kick things off with my uh, my first pick, which is another card from EMA. Um, I've been targeting copies of Foil Pyroblast, specifically on Puka Trade this week, actually. I have eight uh, in the mail on the way to me. Um, Puka Trade's price point, which is usually tied to TCG Mid, it seems, these days, um, was set up at about $38 worth of points. But if you're buying points and then turning them into cards, that's only about $25 or $26 at the current exchange rate. Um, which I think is a very nice entry point on Pyroblast foils. It's the only time Pyroblast has ever been printed at foil. Um, and keep in mind that even though it's an uncommon in EMA, an EMA uncommon is probably about as uh, rare as a rare from something like Shadows over Innistrad, and, and the rares are more like mythics, and the mythics are super mythics because of the, the limited print run of the set and the fact that very many, very few of these cards have been printed any time recently. Um, it's not like there's any uh, good backup plans, especially for these uh, first-time foils. Uh, I, I'm targeting Pyroblast foils to get it up over $50 uh, in the mid to long term, um, and it could go a lot sooner if somebody decides that this is the, their buyout target of the week. There really aren't that many uh, left online. I think there's only a few dozen, and um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be one of the 10 or 15 cards or so that gets uh, ends up targeted like Toxic Deluge and, and starts to evaporate sooner than it would from natural demand. It's worth noting, too, that um, I don't see the same uh, future for Hydroblast because it is not as important to counter red spells. 
having the one blue, the one red answer to uh, any all sorts of problematic things from countering a snapcaster to countering a counterspell. Um, I've, it's something that a lot of people want to play in an EDH deck just to have the answer to somebody's counterspell out of nowhere. Uh, this seems like a really safe and solid pick to me. Just pick them up, uh, put them away, and wait. And watch the value go up and up. I mean, the lowest price near mint foil copy is $34 on TCG right now, including shipping. And it only takes another 10 copies or so before they're 40 and, and, and up. So, And some total, there's something like... Uh, Maybe I said thirty, thirty or forty copies. I think there's probably a hundred copies more like it online uh, across various price points. Um, but again, a, a very safe pick. And, and you're correct to say that Hydroblast is not going to be as in demand since blue is the dominant color in Eternal formats. So uh, break down your first pick for me this week, Cliff. Uh, I really like picking up Linvala the Preserver, the Mythic out of both the Gatewatch. Right now, she's about three bucks. And I think that sometime in the next uh, six months or so, she makes it all the way up to eight, maybe even ten. Uh, my thinking is that she's a small set mythic. There are not that many of those running around. And she's already getting some camera time at uh, the SEG opens. And it's a really great card for catching up. You know, if you stabilize and they get a little ahead of you and you end up uh, playing this and you gain five life and you get two big flyers. Uh, I see uh, it's almost as good as Thrag Tusk was. It's not quite as busted as Thrag Tusk, thankfully. But Thrag Tusk with, uh, I think it was two or three event deck printings, was still, it took that many printings to drive it into the ground. And even then, its lowest point was $2. This, as a mythic, has a much smaller supply. And I think is an easy pick to go up in value as the standard as her standard season goes on. Yeah, I mean it's certainly uh, as a three dollar mythic um, from a tribe that uh, is a thing in casual circles. I mean angels have a good angels have a tendency to go up over time just in general. Um, foils of this can be had in the eight to nine dollar range. Um, it's possible you can get a deal on them this summer if if a deck doesn't show up to drive the price on it in the near future. Um, then there's a very good chance you'll you'll be able to get copies of Linvala as low as 250 this summer, and yeah, I would be you know this wasn't on my radar at all until you brought it up, but now that I'm looking at it, I'm thinking yeah, I mean there's a few hundred copies available online. There's no real demand for the card in the short term. Um, it's probably a long term hold for me, um, but I could easily see it being a two fifty dollar two dollar and fifty cent card that I that I can trade out on Puka Trade for five or six dollars worth of points down the road. Speaking of uh, mythics and foils, what's your next pick? Uh, so, I'm really liking the looks of the Gitrog monster foils these days. Um, there really aren't that many around, given that it was just released in in SOI. Um, it's a mid to long term pick um, on the basis that the Gitrog monster has a bright future in uh, EDH uh, and Commander. Uh, I think that the card is going to go from, say, 12 or $13 today to over $20 in foil um, a year or two down the road, if it even takes that long. If we see some movement on the card making waves in either modern, which is definitely possible, or legacy even, um, which is less possible, um, <laughs> then you know, I think there's a, you know, it's going to have um, you know, a good base of demand from the commander crowd 
and some potential additional upside um, from casual and or modern. Uh, and I think that will easily get it to 20 down the road when there just aren't that many of the spoil mythic um, still lying around. A lot of people are interested in this card. Everybody's going to want to have a copy um, that's playing Commander just in case they decide to get into those kind of decks. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, a solid pick for the mid to long term confidence level of seven. I think that this was uh, responsible for a lot of hype for a week or two during uh, preview season, and it's really cooled off from then. And that's exactly when you want to pick up these kinds of cards. So uh, well played. I'm with you on, on every step of that. And I'm thinking I might need to go update my want list right now. So, so I'm fond of your next pick as well. Tell me about this one. Uh, I am in on Foil Eldrazi Mimics. Uh, they are only a rare uh, out of Oath of the Gatewatch again. Uh, right now, Foil Mimics are only 5 bucks, And there's a, there's a lot of them out there. Let's not uh, overlook that. But uh, if the Legacy and Modern, well, Modern not so much now, but if the Legacy Eldrazi really takes off, this is going to be one of the cards that really goes with it. Uh, I talked last week a little bit about uh, if I think Legacy Eldrazi is going to be a thing. And if it does become a thing, if it becomes popular, the blow-up starts of Eye of Ugin, uh, Eldrazi Mimic, Eldrazi Mimic, and then you play any one of the two mana lands and drop some Thought Seers, or you Spirit Guide and drop some Reality Smashers. There's a lot of really broken things you can do, and I want to have the foil versions that can out themselves for at least 10 and maybe even more. These are a long-term hold of mine. Uh, I don't see them doing anything big for a while, but who knows? All it's going to take is one or two results, and these could spike pretty hard. The thing I like about this is that it has at least some degree of open-ended synergy. I mean, it, it requires a colorless creature to be coming into play, but any weird way to get one of those into play that shows up down the road makes this card better. Um, I'm already playing this card in, in Legacy in a janky version of a, a Bant Eldrazi deck that basically tries to do silly things like play a Phyrexian Dreadnought into this oh. Um, oh. to attack, attack for 12. <laughs> Um, potentially stifle the Dreadnought trigger uh, and keep the Dreadnought. Um, also using Descendant's Path um, so that if I have a, a Mutavault up um, I, and I flip into an Emrakul, then the uh, Mimic attacks for 15. You talked about because uh, Descendant's... Yeah, Descendant's Path lets you cast the Eldrazi off the top of your deck, not just put it into play. So all the on-cast triggers go off. Oh man, I always forget about the cast trigger on Descendants Path. Yeah, so when when it when Emrakul comes in, original Emrakul, not new Emrakul, um, you get the extra turn, <laughs> which is pretty gross, and uh, that's usually enough to put him away. I mean, it's it's not the tuned uh, correct version of Eldrazi um, for that format, and, and I play a, a similar version in Modern. It's definitely not the tuned version there either. Um, but I like Mimic, um, I like Foils. I prefer to get them in the 3 to $4 range if I can for a long-term hold. Um, but I'm not scared of it at 5 I, th I think it's got some upside. And like you said, it's real. Uh, it's open-ended. So anytime they make sweet, colorless creatures, uh, we're going to have sweet things happen. You know, It's not popping up in Tron, but it'd be nice to lay down a Worm Coil and hit them for 6. Uh, speaking of Foils and things you want to hold on to, what's your last pick of the week? My last one's a bit more of an outsider. I'd say my confidence level on this is only a six, maybe a seven. 
Um, but I've started to see versions of uh, modern decks and legacy decks, uh, lands decks and, and Genesis Wave decks, um, respectively, uh, running foil copies of Tireless Tracker, the card out of Shadows Over Innistrad. The uh, abilities on this card um, have a lot of uh, uh, cute interactions with all sorts of other cards that have been printed in the history of Magic and are likely to accumulate additional interactions as time goes on. Um, if you're not familiar, it's two and a green for a 3-2 human scout creature. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate, so you know get p- partway towards drawing an extra card. Whenever you sacrifice a clue, you put a counter on Tireless Tracker. So um, there's not a lot of foils lying around uh, at the in the $10 range, um, and I could easily see these being $15 foils down the road, even if it was just on uh, the, the decks that are already running it. Um, eventually the foil rares will, will dry up. Um, it's not being played a huge amount in standard right now. I'm certainly not the foils. So, you know, I know that I feel relatively safe that it's the, the casual legacy modern experimenters and the, and the speculators that are st- starting to stash away these foils. Um, you know, it could also go the other way. These could end up being a five or six dollar foil. Um, but I put a, put aside a few play sets last week um, on the basis that I think it's probably going to find some legs down the road. Well, one of the, the interesting things is that the non-foil is still like a $6, $5, $6 card. And uh, if the foil isn't too much more than that, it indicates like how much play it's getting. I will note that uh, just yesterday, I was down at the shop playing in, uh, an EDH game and it was a red-green ramp deck, and they played the tracker, and it was just clue after clue after clue, and then they laid down um, Hellkite Tyrant? I think it... No, it's not Hellkite Tyrant. Whichever dragon that says, if you have 20 artifacts, you win. So it was really impressive to see that they had all these clues built up, and everybody at the table was thinking, well, what's going to happen? Oh, they're going to win. Oh, okay. Good call. All right, so your final pick of the week? is another EDH gem, uh, Marin of Clan Nell Toth. Uh, this is a long-term pick of mine. She's currently $7, and I think that over the next year, she at least doubles up to 15 or so. This card, if you have not had the pleasure of playing against it, it is all about grinding, value, and awesome, and you will never be able to get rid of all the good stuff that comes back. Because the way Marin is worded is, at the end of your turn, you get one card, one creature from your graveyard back to your hand. It doesn't matter how many experience counters you have, you'll at least get that. So if you have enough experience counters, you'll actually get it back into play. But the important thing is that you just play her and you will always get that value back. And you, you really have to work hard to mess with someone's graveyard to stop them from getting all the value that they want to get. This has a very high likelihood of hitting a Judge Foil, though. Uh, Wizards has been liberal in using Judge Foils for things that were in the Commander decks. We got uh, Dual Caster Mage and uh, Felden of the Third Path. We got uh, Jaleva and Oloro and uh, the uh, Carador. So we've gotten a lot of these cards in Judge Foil, and if it does land, then this is not going to look as good of a pick. But in terms of its growth, but it's not going to get smaller. So I'm really, uh, I got about a seven on this as a long-term pick. Even if they print a Judge Foil, I think it's a pretty safe pick. All right, I can get with that. 
So you you also had a card on the list this week that you you wanted to offer up as a sell watch. Yeah, uh, I am scared of Steel Overseer. Uh, if you have any right now, they're around fifteen bucks, and uh, I think this is overdue for a reprint. Uh, we've got four command, uh, excuse me, five commander decks coming out. We've got an artifact themed set coming out. Uh, this is only seeing play in affinity decks, so it's not there's not that much demand for it. It was a rare way back in M11. It was in a dual deck, but uh, all it's going to take is it showing up in any of these products, and the value is going to drop like a rock. So if you have any that you're not playing, then I think you should move them out. I mean, I'm seeing copies as low as ten dollars on TCG Player. So um, you know, it takes about. 30 or 40 copies to get up into the $15 range. So it looks like it's already you know, been taking a hit. Um, I'm not sure whether it fits into the Kaladesh themes or not. Um, I, I don't know if, we're, if it's going to be all about plus one, plus one canners or more about Thopters themselves. Um, but I mean, if, if you've been holding these since they were, you know, three or $4, um, I certainly wouldn't be uh, afeard of getting out uh, anywhere between 10 and 15 because it's just a, it's a reasonable gain. And, there's not a lot of reason to believe that demand is likely to spike in the near future. Um, if it is reprinted in Kaladesh, it becomes a 3 or $4 card again very quickly. So um, if you are uh, are worried that might happen, then yeah, get out while the getting's good. As always, the, uh, the plan is going up. Get out, move on to the next. All right, so walk me through what happened at SCG or Orlando this weekend. Uh, there was a big open down there um, that Tom Ross won, and uh, it was a standard open. Uh, Tommy was running uh, white-red humans. What else did you see? We had uh, Nahiri decks. We had uh, the Seasons Past uh, special from Jeff Hoogland. Uh, there was a white-blue aggressive deck. There was mono-white humans. We had only one copy in the top eight of green-white tokens. It was a four-color cryptolith right deck uh but the the green white humans deck there were 30 of them in the top 128 of the scg open and that's a lot uh gideon nissa they might have legs for the entire time they're in standard uh gideon's got another whole set to go uh nissa she was in oath of the gate watch right yeah so she's she's got they've got the same time frame linked to them so the, this one-two punch of make tokens, make tokens better, might just be good for another, what are we at, nine months or so? Yeah, the issue with Nissa and Travis and I made this mistake a few weeks ago, um, was forgetting that she's getting printed in the dual deck. Um, oh, that's right. And the, du- the dual deck printing is going to k- probably kill, nicks her chances of seeing a spike. Um, I mean, if, if she wasn't announced for the dual deck, I think she already would have spiked. She's far too low for a card uh, that's as popular as she is in standard right now. Wait, did she they... should... By, Did they say it was going to be the ally of Zendikar? No, but I, I don't see which other version they're going to do. I don't think they're going to reprint a, an Origins card that far after um, when the focus is, is on completely different sets. Um, I, I would guess it has to be the Oath version. Um, and the, the focus of the deck will be on you know buffing a bunch of tokens and so forth. The uh, I, I put it you know 10 to 1 odds that it, it's got to be that version. Um, Gideon, on the other hand, um, the only reprint I see for him is, I don't think we know what the San Diego Comic-Con set is yet this year. Um, it has traditionally been Planeswalkers from the prior year in, in black. Um, so copies of, uh, of Gideon may flood the market in black uh, versions later this summer. Um, 
and there isn't going to be a Jace Friends Prodigy uh, uh, style card in that set because none of the other Planeswalkers from this year uh, measure up um, on that power level. So I would expect that those cards are going to be relatively cheap, and that may have some impact on Gideon's availability. Or, I mean, his price, his, his ability to spike heading into the fall. Um, there's also this thing where standard's only a year and a half now, and I've noticed that, that their cards are having trouble holding high price points for longer. We're, we're seeing a lot of ups and downs um, in various cards, but people start to get nervous even earlier now that we've got six months less um, to hold on to these cards for them to perform. There was a sweet spot about two sets after a card was printed where it would spike again, and uh, that was really something that I've, I've gotten good at, is picking what would be on the up and what would be on the down. And uh, the first example that comes to mind was Jace, the Architect of Thought, who uh, at the end of his original set was like a $3 card. But a year after that, he spiked up to the $20 range. And then he had another year to trickle back down. We don't have that. And I'm curious to see... With uh, Gideon is seeing a tremendous amount of play, will his price uh, stay the same? I mean, it does. It seems like a low price for a mythic that people are playing four of constantly. And this is one of the best cards to play a four of because you can just cash in the extra one for an emblem. So I'm really, uh, I'm really curious to see where Gideon and also uh, Archangel Avison. Uh, stabilize in terms of their prices. Exactly. I mean, overall, I think this is a pretty healthy looking standard. We're seeing, you know, a, a pretty healthy mix of decks uh, make the top eight week after week, and there's definitely innovation week to week. Uh, you know, we've got White Red Humans, Naya Midrange, Absan Seasons Past, which is a new take on on that archetype. Um, Blue White Aggro, Mono White Humans, but right White Red Humans again in sixth, and then a Green White Tokens deck in seventh in the hands of Jerry Thompson, and four color rights um, showing up again as well. Um, but here's here's the deck I'm really excited about that was not part of the uh, standard open, but showed up in the Modern Classic. Um, sixth place in the Modern Classic was taken by Lance Austin running Esper Zur. So the creatures in this deck, four Geist of St. Trap, four Jace Friends Prodigy in Modern, four Zur the Enchanter, in modern, spells, three detention sphere, ghostly prison, spreading seas, steel of the godhead, and then a bunch of control cards: negate, path to exile, inquisition of Kozilek, uh, lingering souls, and thought seas. So, I mean, Zur the Enchanter is a four of Zur the Enchanter. He doesn't have haste. Uh, he doesn't die to bolt. Thankfully, he's got three toughness, but he's, there's no four toughness. Four toughness. Right, I'm sorry, he's got four toughness, so he's, he's bulletproof. But it's it's fascinating. Uh, this is a card that makes you people want to kill you in Commander, and it's do, certainly doing its job here. It'll fetch up whatever you need uh, in terms of a detention sphere, a ghostly prison. Um, I'm surprised at the toolbox they went for, but there's not a lot of space for the toolbox. But four copies of Xur. It seemed I would have loved to watch some some games of this. Like when you have two Zer looking at you in your hand, are you excited? What are you going to do with those extra copies? Are you going to chase them away? And and I'm not even clear on what Jace is doing here, because <laughs> Jace Jace. I mean, I love seeing four of of Jace in modern. I mean, this is a big long term bet of mine that he's going to end up there. 
but where are all the instants and, and uh, sorceries for him to flash back? Like there's two negate, four path to exile, Inquisition, and Thoughtseize. And then Lingering Souls flashes itself back. So what's the, what's the Jace value for? I guess he's there for the looting capabilities. Yeah. I mean, this is just to get this is just to get to the combo to have a Geist on, on board that normally ends up getting stymied because um, they have a good blocker. And that can take care of Geist, and they take the hit once or twice from the Angel, and then move on. The idea here is that you're going to use, you're going to go Geist into Zur, and then Zur is going to get Steel of the Godhead, which is two uh, and a white or a blue hybrid mana. Um, enchant creature. As long as enchanted creature is white, it gets plus one plus one and has life link. And as long as it's blue, it's unblockable. So what you're doing is you're turning Geist of Saint Traft into a four four hexproof. Lifelink unblockable that also is accompanied into battle by a 4-4 angel as per usual. Um, certainly a fairly compelling win condition if you can pull it all together. Um, and, you know, obviously this guy did since he made it all the way through to, to the top eight um, on the back of what I'm sure was a deck was confusing the hell out of his opponents. That's true. And once, like, you can, somebody plays Jace, you say, okay, that's interesting, Jace. And then somebody plays Geist, you say, great. Well, I can block that. And then they lay down Zur, and then you're thinking, oh, crap, I have to kill this Zur. But there's also that Jace, who's doing nothing but giving value, that Geist, which I'm terrified of. And uh, should they manage to successfully attack with Zur, you attack with the Geist of St. Trap at the same time. You slip Steal the Godhead on, and now you can't targeted removal, and all you're afraid of is Supreme Verdict, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm surpri- a little surprised to not see a Gift of Immortality, the aura from uh, Theros in here, uh, which reads, when Enchanted Creature dies, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control and return Gift of Im- or Immortality to the battlefield attached to that creature at the beginning of the next end step, um, which is a very nice thing to have on Zur because he hardly ever dies, um, and a pretty nice thing to have on Geist uh, as well. Lance, if you're listening, get in touch with either one of us, and we would love to talk about this experience, because <laughs> I I think you're brave and awesome for showing up at a modern event with a commander that makes people want to kill you, and uh, Godspeed, sir. I want to talk about how you did yeah. and how you came to these conclusions. This is one of the coolest decks I've seen in a while, and I wish they had some on-camera time with it. So the only other thing that uh, really stood out to me in that top eight list in the modern uh, classic was Jeskai Flash finishing in second. This is a fairly traditional Jeskai uh, aggro control build with Restoration Angel, Snapcaster Mage, Geist again as a four of, and Vendelian Clicks uh, with Paths and Bolts and and uh, Helix. Uh, it's a uh, an archetype that uh, Sean McLaren, my fellow Canadian uh, brethren, uh, made popular a couple years back when he won a Pro Tour with it. Um, and but we haven't seen it in top tables for a while, so seeing it finish second is cool. Um, let's move on to our uh, final topic of the week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Eldritch Moon spoilers. So uh, Cliff, pick uh, pick your favorite spoiler so far revealed, and let's chat through. I'm actually really intrigued by uh, Cokes from the Blind Eternities. I think there's a lot of crazy potential with this card. Now it says, so it's two and a blue. Choose an Eldrazi card you own from outside the game or in exile and put it into your hand. And this is a lot like, uh, I'm thinking of it as Eldrazi Wish, like uh, Cunning Wish, Glittering Wish, uh, Burning Wish, all the the ones that you'll see in 
uh, sideboards where you can, all, at a tournament, the only cards legal for outside the game are the ones in your sideboard. And having access to uh, the many more copies, uh, you know, do you need an Emrakul? Do you need an Ulamog? What is it you're ready to do? Well, you can pick exactly which one you want. And it says Eldrazi spell, so that also counts things like all is dust. So I think there's a real intriguing uh, few lines of text here that uh, you can go get the new Emrakul. Do you need the old Emrakul? What are you ready for? And uh, to have that flexibility, or to grab something like if your Ulamog got path and you want to get it back, well, here you go. One of the other sexy things that a lot of people, I think, are failing to pick up on is that... Um you get to choose an Eldrazi that you own from outside the game or one that is already in exile, which means if somebody pathed your Eldrazi or declaration didn't stone it, um, you can pull it back into your hand. Which is going to make declaration and stone a little bit worse of a uh, an answer to Ulamog. At least in yeah, standing. I mean, I, just in ge- I mean, if they get rid of a Thought Nuts here and you get to just get it back on a oh. one-for-one basis and then play it again, or a Reality Smasher, I mean... Uh, exiling a reality smasher is, is, is often uh, one of your only good options and how demoralizing is it to see it come back again you already got two for one getting rid of it now you gotta do that all over again oh it's gonna sting it's gonna feel so good what do you think of the new Emrakul I'm a little higher on this card than most people um, first of all the art is incredible um, I was disappointed to find out this week that the uh, artist Jamie Jones is primarily a digital artist, so the art is not going to be up for sale on in an eBay auction anytime soon, uh, which is a shame because the large-scale version of it is incredible. There's a huge uh, battle going on below Emrakul that you can't see in the uh, card art very well, um, and uh, it's quite epic. But as a 13-13 for 13, um, <laughs> with an awesome name, Emrakul, the promised end, is wicked name, wicked art. Um, it costs one less to cast for each card type and among cards in your graveyard. So there's a bunch of ways to make it cost probably eight or nine or something like that in, in a deck that's focused on it. Um, but I think it's actually going to see more play in, I mean, in standard, that might be the approach. But in modern, I think if, if it sees play, it's going to be about Nahiri or other ways to cheat it into play, right? Um, Descendant's Path, again, looks uh, less janky than it did in, uh, a few days ago because now you have a chance of having four of the original Emrakul and four of this Emrakul in your deck and um, flipping them off the top to a Mutavolt um, off of Descendant's Path is not that crazy. You can go Noble Hierarch into Descendant's Path on turn two, have a Mutavolt on the table on turn three and start having you know a one in six chance of flipping an Emrakul off the top. That gets better if you've got any way to sort the top of your deck, which both cards like Tygum Scheming and similar can do. So there's all sorts of jank that's probably going to come out of the woodwork as people try to make this thing work. Um, People are definitely underestimating the value of taking over your opponent's turn. Um, They're also overestimating the penalty of, quote-unquote, giving that player an extra turn. So just to refresh everybody, when you cast Emrakul, you gain control of target opponent during that player's next turn. After that turn, that player takes a, quote-unquote, extra turn. Thing is, it's not an extra turn. It's you that's taking the extra turn, and it's their turn you're taking. So you're taking your full turn, you're getting a bonus turn of theirs to screw with their hand, kill their their creatures with their own kill spells, um, to burn themselves to the face, to do whatever you're going to do while they're tapped out. And then they get to take a normal turn after that, and then immediately it goes back to you. So it's not like they're taking two turns in a row, which is the only time I'm ever worried about a, an extra turn. 
Um, and the fact that he's flying trample and protection from instance and has a huge butt means, you know, only, um, you know, sorcery speed removal or mass removal is going to deal with this card. Um, he's not as as powerful in that regard as the original Emrakul, but uh, I think there are, between the two of them, there are going to be strategies that potentially want both in some combination, and I, I expect he's he's going to be a heavily played card for years to come. That seems uh, pretty much in line with my thinking. Uh, I can't wait to play this in any format where I can get away with it. I think that some decks are going to try and abuse the delirium affinity that it has built in. But even if you get it down to a reasonable, like, nine, you know, four four card types doesn't seem that hard to achieve. You know, you'll hit a an artifact, a creature, a land, and a random spell before you have nine mana. And if you're trying hard, uh, you can get uh, even more than that. So being able to play this at a significant discount, this is almost never going to cost 13. So I think that people are trying to compare it and you're not taking into account that aspect of it. Uh, being able to take their turn and then they have to spend a turn putting together whatever you messed up is just going to be nothing but amazing. Uh, it's going to make Spell Sky so much worse in Modern. If they have a spell guide in play, then all of a sudden they cast a spell and now they spend all but one life point. Uh, you can even do it to death. If they have one thing that can target, then congratulations. You just won the game. So another card they revealed is Supplanter of Identity. Two and two blue for a creature shapeshifter. It's a zero three. And when it attacks, you get to exile another target non-token creature. If you do... Supplanter becomes a copy of that creature, and then at the end of the turn, um, you return the exiled creature back. There's a bunch of shenanigans people are not quite grasping here. <laughs> so first of all, you get to remove their biggest, scariest blocker, and your attacker becomes that blocker. So if they have a 10-10, or they have an Emrakul out, you can attack with the 0-3, uh, blink the Emrakul, and become the Emrakul, and, attack, and hit for 13 which they've got to either block or deal with in whatever way. Um, if you blink your own creature when you attack with this thing, then you can leverage enter the battlefield effects from the creature in question. So whatever you are, you know, a Necrotal type effect on your side of the board or a Muldrifter type effect on your side of the board, um, you're going to get another play out of that. And, you know, maybe they kill the 0-3 or maybe they don't. We'll see, see how it goes. You can also abuse um, uh, effects from cards that trigger when the creature deals damage. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. Is this a financial target? Probably not. Um, but it looks like a card that people are going to be uncovering new combos with for years. This is exactly that. Every time I think, oh, it's a clone variant, they, they always throw a little bit of spice in there, whether it's Altered Ego making it even bigger and uncounterable. This one where you are choosing what you want it to be and, and at the same time, enabling all of your blinking shenanigans. There's nothing but fun ahead with this. Um, do you want the werewolf or the Thalia to talk about, James? Hit me up with your thoughts on the werewolf. I was bummed. Uh, Ulrich of the Crowlin Horde is solid but not uh, amazing. He's three red-green for a legendary human werewolf who's a... Uh, hold on, let me, like, I think he's a... 4-4. Four, four. He's a 4-4. Four, four. 
He's a 4-4. When he comes to play, uh, target creature you control gets plus 4, plus 4 until end of turn. And those spells get cast. He flips over. And when he flips, he becomes a 6-6 that can fight target non-werewolf uh, you don't control. Which is... Uh, I've been talking about this uh, with people I play Commander with. And while everybody says, thank God, finally it's a legendary werewolf, compare it to something like Emberwolf or the flipped... Uh, uh, Bandit of Dire Reach, where werewolves can come into play transform. He's solid, but not like awe-inspiring as a werewolf commander. So he's there. Uh, this is not something I'm going to go crazy targeting for uh, foils for long-term growth. I think that there's going to be a certain number of people who hit their werewolves. They've been wanting this legendary werewolf. So they'll pay out the nose for it the first week. And then it's just going to trickle down from there, and I don't think it's going to come back until the third time we get werewolves. That's my caveat. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't see this card being a big player on the financial scene. Um, although the next card, Thalia Cathar Heretic, oh. a new ver- a new version of Thalia, uh, three two for two and a white. Um, she has first strike, and her text reads: Creatures and non basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. So we've seen this effect before um, uh, where things come into play tapped, and it's never really been a big deal. But the question is whether this is the tipping point that makes death and taxes in modern a real, real thing. Um, You know, running the other Thalia at two and this Thalia at three with all the other tricks and and synergies that uh, death and taxes already had. The fact that, you know, tokens from lingering souls come into play tapped, the fact that their dual lands come into play tapped, um, and they can't use their fetches right away, all starts to add up and and maybe what that deck needs. I don't know how many copies of this they would run or if it, what slots she would fill. Uh, I could picture it maybe being a one or a two of. Um, you know, maybe maybe the foils are a thing. Um, I have to see, you know, go read, read over some uh, documentation on death and taxes to figure out just how excited uh, the players uh, running that deck are going to be about this card. Well, but uh, it's definitely got my interest. It's a buy a box promo, uh, so that's going to uh, Hurts. play a part in whether or not the foils are big. But the fact that your fetches are literally the worst lands in your deck now. Now, she lands on turn three, so uh, by then they've done most of the heavy lifting in terms of fetch landing. But uh, at the same time, your fetch lands aren't just bad. They're like fetch land for anything other than a basic is a two-turn delay. The, you, your fetch land comes into play tapped, and then the land you fetch up comes into play tapped, so it's three turns have to go by for you to get what it used to be you just paid two life for to have it immediately. So does it... I don't think this is going to be as big a deal as people are initially saying. I don't think it's cheap enough, and I don't think it's going to have enough of an effect from turn three onward. But um, I'm kind of in love with this for uh, all the ca- casual ways to play. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a fun card to play against casually, that's for sure. Especially if you're running a janky casual deck and they're running a streamlined white weenie deck. Oh, um, this is going to go right into right into cubes that won't have a white weenie deck in them. Uh, because it just having their blockers come into play tapped. Uh, there's, we've had a lot of variations on this effect. None of them have ever been 
expensive, whether you like your Blind Obedience, you like Loxton Peaks Keeper. Uh, I think Hate Bears already had a version of this in Imposing Sovereign just for creatures. Yeah, uh, if you really wanted the effect, you could have it on a, a 2-1 body for 2. But having the non-basics and the creatures come into play tapped may just put it over the top. I think it's going to show up as a 1 or 2 of at most as people try it out, but it's never going to be much more than that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to get played in standard. The humans decks will love this effect. Cause oh, they're, three they're, mana they're first already, strike? They're, they're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're already coming out of the gate really fast, and this this really slows the opponent down at the right moment in time. Um, but on the whole, I think the, the only card out of this this initial grouping that's got me excited financially is that Emrakul, the Promised End, foils are likely a, lo- a, a fantastic long-term card. The art's just too, too amazing. Um, and uh, this is a small-slash-summer set, so, um, you know... It's a, a better pickup down the road for down the road than it would be if it had been an SOI or BFC. And uh, I think that's a wrap for this week. Um, where can people find you online, Cliff? Well, you can find me at Word of Commander on Twitter, and my columns go up every Friday on mtgprice.com. And as per usual, you guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That brings us to the end of show number 21 of MTG Fast Finance. Uh, thanks again, James. It's been a lot of fun. Can't wait to... Uh hear more about your awesome Zur the Enchanter Commander deck. <laughs> Thanks, Cliff, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.